Very cool. Thanks, band. Nice. Hey, so, so good morning. As, as George said, we are in uh, the last of our, of our series of Living the Dream. And, and like George said, I just want to uh, encourage you, if you've, um, if you've missed a sermon or uh, if you've heard all of them, but you just want to go back and have a refresher, uh, I happen to know that they're all online because I put them there. Um, so, so go and uh, jump on our SoundCloud. Uh, just search Equipus Church Wellington SoundCloud and you'll find it. And, and have, a, have a, a, a listen kind of back over what we've been talking about, because I Think, in fact, if you had a spare, um, I don't know, like two days of listening time, you know, if you're if you're traveling somewhere over the summer, jump back right to our um, to our Exodus series and have a listen right through because I think the the progression through uh, positions us in a really unique way for the new year for what we're doing. So go have a look at that if you've if you've got a spare few moments. Once you've done that and you want podcast recommendations, come talk to me and George because we are slaying it with podcasts at the moment. Don't be surprised if then all of the interesting stories that you heard from the stage, you hear again. It's like, wow, Malcolm Gladwell keeps on copying Jono. That's weird. Uh, but, but very cool. Hey, uh, so today as, as we finish this series, um, I, I want to conclude by asking the question, what happens if you feel like, like you've got a dream? If you feel like you, you have a dream, that God's given you a dream, but you're not living it yet? Like you can see your dream, you can see what you're believing for, what you're, what you're trusting for, but, but you feel like it's a far way off, like, like it's, it's not quite here yet. Today I want to talk about everyone's favorite word, patience. We love that word, eh? Like patience, yeah, that's the best. I, I was going to ask Jordan to get the Jury and the Saints and Stan Walker to do a live rendition of their song, Patience, but I didn't ask him. I'm sure they would have been here. That would have been cool, eh? Um, I'll just sing it instead, really? No, I'm just joking. Instead, what I'll do is I'll open the Bible, right? That's a much better idea. So uh, turn with me to Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. We're going to read uh, from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 4 in the New Living Translation. We'll chuck it up on the screen. It says this. There we go. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. Why don't you bow your heads with me and let's pray. God, I thank you for this moment. God, as we come together as friends and family and as, as we lean in to hear what it is that you're saying, God, God, I, we say it every Sunday, but we're so thankful that you're always speaking. We're so thankful that you always have something to say to us, God, that you always want to encourage us, God, that you want to pull us forward into who you've made us to be. God, this morning we just choose for the next 30 minutes to lean in and listen. God, that, that it wouldn't be my words, that it wouldn't be my thinking, but that somewhere in the midst of this, this engagement, God, that, that you would speak into our hearts, that we would leave different than when we came into this room. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we all get impatient, don't we? You know, we, 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 can, all, we can all understand this feeling of impatience. You might have a, a family member who exasperates you, and you, sometimes you have to watch what you say in response. Or, or you might have a, a boss, right, who thinks that they walk on water, and somehow everything that they do wrong is, is your fault. Or you might have a, a client who, you know, leaves you that voicemail message, and then 30 seconds later leaves you another one. And is like, why haven't you called me back? It's like, because I've got other things in, in my day. I was on the toilet. Can you leave me alone? 
right? Or, or you might have a colleague with low self-esteem and a, and a razor-sharp tongue who just enjoys making everyone as unhappy as they are, or, or, or a friend who can't keep a secret, or even a largely ideal spouse who just sometimes might get on your nerves, right? We, we all know this feeling of impatience. That's Obviously, I'm just speaking from hearing other people talk about their spouses. I don't know what that means at all, eh, babe? Yeah. M's been sleepwalking again lately in pregnancy, so that's been fun. Four times in one night. That was good. That was good. I'm just training. We're training ourselves with baby, eh? Sorry, babe. Sorry. Usually I, I check my, my references with him beforehand. That was off the cuff. If you don't see me next week, there's a reason. But, uh, you know, we, we all know this, this feeling of, of impatience. And, and I think we'd agree that, that impatience is dangerous, right? No one, no one ever has a positive story about impatience. No one's ever like, oh, man, I lost my cool with my spouse, and the resulting argument was amazing. I really enjoyed it. It was edifying, right? Or, oh, I was stuck in traffic, and I, I swore and pulled the fingers at the car in front of me, and instantly I felt so much better. Right, I'm so glad I did that. And patience is amazing because patience is important. Right? But, but I don't know about you. Sometimes I can feel disappointed with my lack of patience. Right? So sometimes I can, I can kind of feel like I want more patience now. Like I want to be more patient now, right now. Where, why is my patience taking so long to come? You know, and it's, it's, it's interesting. Today I want to look at, at a few stories of, of patience or, or lack thereof in the Bible and encourage us that, that we can be patient and encourage us why it will help us to live the lives that God has called us to, to live. How it will help us to live the dream. See, it, just as we read in, in Ephesians, Paul tells us to be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Paul also writes in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that love is patient and kind, that it, it keeps no record of being wrong, that love never gives up, love never loses faith, it's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. In fact, Paul talks about patience a lot, right? In a lot of his letters to the early churches, Paul talks and reminds them and encourage them, encourages them to, to be patient. But amazingly, Paul wasn't that patient himself. Right, just let that irony sink in for a moment. Having famously written those, those immortal words that love is patient and kind and never gives up, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance, Paul at one stage in his life said, I've given up. I'm, I'm not hoping anymore. I'm, I'm not enduring. I'm not being kind. I'm done. I'm not patient. Isn't that a little bit shocking, right? Why would, why would Paul lose patience? See, it all started with a guy named John Mark. And, and John Mark, in, in fact, turn with me to, to Acts chapter 15. We're going to read verse 36 to 41 in the NLT, and then we're going to have a little bit of a, a look at what's happening here. We're going to look at the, the end of a friendship, right? The end of a, a partnership. It's about Paul and Barnabas who've been traveling the world. They've been the, the original dynamic duo of the church, right? There hasn't been another partnership like this since Jesus and the disciples. And, and they're about to split up in a heated argument over John Mark, right? It, it says this, Acts chapter 15, verses 36 to 41. NLT translation, there we go. It says, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pampilia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. 
Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas. He traveled through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches there. Right, so who is this John Mark? This, who is this man that, that splits up the original dynamic duo, the original Batman and Robin of, of the Bible? For some reason, every time I read that, I do think of them as Batman and Robin. What, what, why did John Mark desert Paul and Barnabas, right? What, what did he do? Why did Barnabas want to take him along? And, and why did Paul so strongly not want him to come? You know, John Mark's story begins with the crucifixion. Right, Jesus and the disciples were in the, the Garden of Gethsemane, and it was just after the Last Supper, and, and Jesus was doing that thing where he's like, can you pray? And then he comes back, and the disciples are sleeping, and he's like, really, I, I should have chosen someone different, right? These guys are hopeless. What am I doing? Very frustrating. And he keeps on waking them up, and they keep on going back to sleep. And then they finally wake up when the guards arrive to arrest Jesus. And then Peter pulls out his sword, and he's like, yeah, wow, takes off someone's ear. It's great, great reading, right? And, and, and in the middle of that moment, the, the guards show up, and, and Peter fights for a little bit, but then he gets scared and he runs away. And everyone runs away, right? And, and Jesus is left in the garden just with, with uh, Judas who's betrayed him and, and the Roman guards who are arresting him. But it, it says in the gospel of, of Mark that there was one other person there. It says that a, a young man peered out from the bushes and that we think throughout history, historians and theologians have, have thought that this man is John Mark. And as they led Jesus away, impulsively, this young man, John Mark, leaps out of the shadows and he starts to walk along next to Jesus. He's like, I don't want Jesus to have to go through this alone. I, I want to be with Jesus in this. I'm not going to run away. And, and as a result, a soldier lunges at him, right? A soldier tries to grab him, but instead of grabbing John Mark, he, he grabs his robe. And in his panic, John Mark starts to kind of duck and twist and, and writhe around. And, and the result is, is that he gave the soldier the slip in the only way that he could, by leaving his robe in the hands of the soldier. And so written forever in Scripture are the words, and so the young man ran away naked. Right, John Mark is the original biblical streaker. Right, he's the first streaker in the Bible. He is, and this is the best joke I'm going to say today. He's a man of the cloth without his cloth. That deserved a better laugh. It's all right. You can listen back and you'll be like, wow, wow. Jono, that's amazing, right? You can tell other people. It'll have a bit of a build up. It's a long joke. But right, poor John Mark, yeah? He has this, he has this moment. He has a chance to, to go down in history, to be the one who didn't run, the one who, who stayed with Jesus. And instead, he's an embarrassment. Instead, he's a joke for preachers, right? Instead, greatness fell into his lap and he fumbled it away. But fortunately, we hear of John Marker again a little bit later. In fact, 15 or so years later, John Mark is in his early 30s, and he's been a part of the early church for over a decade. And he's approached by Paul and Barnabas to go on the very first ever missions trip, right? The very first ever missionary trip. And, and they set out by boat from, from modern-day Syria to Cyprus. And on Cyprus, they encounter a false prophet, and, and they defeat him. And then they head on to the southern coast of Turkey. And by the time they reach Turkey, John Mark is ready to bail. Right? We don't know why. It doesn't say if he was homesick or, or seasick, but the best evidence is, is that he missed his mum. Right? Because here's the thing that happens is, is verse 13 says that Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem, where it was well known that his mother was the very wealthy and influential Mary of Jerusalem. So, so the, the result being that John Mark had come along with Paul and Barnabas to kind of be the muscle of the trip. Right? Paul and Barnabas are, are getting a bit older. Uh, Barnabas is 
is quite old, and, and, and Paul at this stage has developed kind of a, a sickness that, that plagues him. And so they bring John Mark as the young guy who can carry the packs and kind of do the legwork, right? And, and so the result is that strong young John Mark, who came along to be the muscle, has abandoned elderly Barnabas and sickly Paul, and he leaves them to fend for themselves in the mountainous backcountry of Turkey, right? Which isn't like just small hills. It's like an arid, mountainous desert. He's potentially leaving them to die in the desert, right? And, and, and so what do you do with John Mark? What do you do with this, this man who missed his moment in the garden and then fell flat on his face as a missionary, right? It just so happens that sometime later, as we read, when Paul and Barnabas were gearing up for their next journey, their, their second missionary journey, Barnabas says to Paul, you know, Paul, John Mark's been, been you know, thinking about what he did for a long time now. John Mark's been reflecting, and Barnabas happens to be John Mark's cousin. Nepotism, right? But he's like, look, you know, we don't want the last word on John Mark in the Bible to be, because Barnabas obviously is very aware and knows it will all be recorded in Scripture. Just go with it. Go with it. He's like, we don't want it to be that he was the, the guy that was the streaker, and, and then that he was the guy that chickened out and ran home to mummy. Let's give him one more chance, right? Let's give him one more chance to, to go down in biblical history as, as a hero and not just as a joke. And, and I was thinking it would be nice, it would be a nice gesture if we could give him another shot, right? If, I think we, we should invite him to come on the journey. And I can just imagine Paul's reaction, right, as his eyes narrow and his face reddens and that, that vein on the side of his neck starts to throb, right? And he's like, you want us, you want us to bring John Mark? John Mark, the, the streaker. John Mark, the, the guy who left us for dead. John Mark, the reason that I, I have a constant uh, hunch in my back because I had to carry my pack. I wouldn't have packed three saucepans, Barnabas, if I knew I was going to have to carry them through Turkey. Right, Barnabas is like, look, he's... Hey, I, I think we should give him another go. And Paul's like, no, not, not, a, not a chance. If there's one thing I can trust in, it's, it's that he will leave us high and dry. And Barnabas is like, he needs another chance. And Paul's like, he can get it elsewhere. I'm done. And Barnabas is like, look, I didn't want to do this. But I did read somewhere that, that you know, love endures. Love bears all things. That love is kind. That, that love doesn't give up hope. You know, that, that love keeps on going that maybe we should love John Mark and Paul's like yeah did you read that well John Mark can get loved somewhere else right I'm not having nothing to do with him John Mark is on his own if he loves being a missionary so much he can set up his own missionary journey and do it on his own and, and Barnabas is like look I didn't want to do this but I'm not going if John Mark's not going Paul's like fine Barnabas is like fine 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 done right they have a, they have a, a little kindergarten fight and they're done and, and John Mark and Barnabas they go off uh, uh, to to Cyprus, and, and Paul and Silas go to Syria, right? And the dynamic duo is split up because Paul had had it with John Mark. So I've got, I've got two points this morning. My first point is that we need to be patient with each other. See, here's the thing. In, in life, people will disappoint us. I hope I'm not bursting your bubble by saying that. I hope I'm not, I hope I'm not you know, you're like, ah, oh, man, I thought people would always be good, and then Jono told me that they wouldn't. That sucks. I see, in, in life, we will grow impatient with people. In, in life, we will grow impatient with people and we will write them off and it can feel justified, just like Paul with John Mark. It can feel like, like they've earned it. But the thing is, is that God doesn't do that. See, it's interesting that God's patience is a particular kind of patience. Out of a, a number of options in the Greek, the, the word that's used to describe God's patience is the word makothumia. 
And marcothumia is, it basically means delayed gratification when it comes to people. And I find this hard because it's the most passive form of patience. Right, I can get on board with the idea of patience, of relax, you know, it's, it's going to take me a while to shape this person. They will become my pet project. I'll chip away at them. I'll gently guide them, you know, like I'll, I'll work on them, but they'll get there. I can get that type of patience, a patience where I'm involved. But, but marcothumia is it's waiting for the other person to come around while you have none or, or very little control. The most literal translation of this word comes from the King James Version of the Bible, where it, it translates it as long suffering. You take the long view. You, you suffer long. And the interesting thing is, is we would never have had or heard of John Mark if, if someone hadn't loved him with a, a Marcothumia type of patience, with a long suffering. But that was Barnabas. Paul wanted no part of him. Which kind of leads to the question, if I'm patient with someone, and if I'm, if I'm patient with them, and patient with them, and patient with them, and patient with them, and the, the person still doesn't grow, they still disappoint me, they still are, are my John Mark to my Paul, right? They still keep on letting me down. What, what do I do, right? When is enough enough? When can I quit on someone? See, the hard truth about patience is sometimes God calls us to be patient, not so that the other person will grow, but so that we will. You know, 80 years ago, the, the Harvard Grant Study started with the, the Harvard class of 1938 to 1940. And, and this study follows 268 male Harvard undergraduates. Those still living today are, are well into their 90s, and the study is still going. It's the longest longitudinal study uh, in history. Right? And it collects data on various aspects of, of the lives of these young men at regular intervals, all to determine what makes a, a happy and meaningful life. Right? And, and if you're interested, you can go and read uh, a book called Triumphs of Experience uh, by George E. Valiant. It's a good book. Uh, I haven't read all of it. I just got this bit from it, because um, <laughs> that's what I do. Uh, but, but I can summarize the result of the book for you, in as much as I've read it, uh, in, in one word. Love. See, basically what the book says is you can have a successful career, you can have loads of money, you can have robust physical health, you can travel the globe, you can tick off everything on your, on your bucket list, but without supportive, loving relationships, you won't be happy. See, the, the head of the study, George Valiant, says that there are two pillars of happiness. He says one is love, and the other is finding a way of coping with life that does not push love away. See, the, the second half of that only happens in one way. We only manage to, to live through life in such a way, cope with life in such a way that we don't push love away if we're patient with people. See, we need to find a way of coping with life that doesn't push love away. John Mark's story concludes uh, years later when a call came from across the sea. It was from, from Peter, right? Peter the fisherman, Peter, Simon Peter, Peter who chopped off the air, Peter who's the rock upon which the church is built. And, and it wasn't a call for a brave missionary. It wasn't a call for someone who wasn't gonna run away. It wasn't a call for someone who had courage. It was a call for a gifted and educated writer, which John Mark was. He grew up in luxury. He grew up with all the education provided to him. And Peter needed someone from a cultured background who could take his thoughts and arrange them on paper. And John Mark could do that. And the result is the gospel of Mark. The first account of the life of Jesus ever written. 
See, this man who was so frustrating, this man who seemed to always be disappointing people, ended up being the very man to write the first ever gospel account. See, we need to be patient with people because we can't see who they're going to become. As a side note, and and I'm not going to get into this, but we need to be patient with ourselves. You know, John Mark could have so easily just given up on himself. No, I'm sure he didn't want to run away two times. Right, it must have eaten him up on the inside. He must have been disappointed with himself. But, but when that call came from Peter, he didn't say, no, I've stuffed up too many times. I'm a write-off. He said, I'll try one more time. I'll put my hand to it again. And this time it took, and he would have been so glad. See, not only did the church, not only did we as, as Christians further on in history uh, benefit as a result of John Mark, but it turns out that Paul did too. If we fast forward another 20 years, Paul is in prison at the end of his life, and he's writing a letter to Timothy, and he's reminiscing. He says, I've fought the good fight. I've run the race. I've kept the faith. And then Paul goes on to admit that he's lonely. He says to Timothy, I need a friend. I need someone with me. I've I've just got Luke. I need someone else. And, And Paul asks Timothy, bring Mark with you. Bring John Mark with you. He'll be my right hand man. See, with Paul, I reckon that's as close as you're going to get to an apology. But Paul recognizes the fact that whilst John Mark was frustrating, whilst John Mark erred him, whilst whilst he let him down again and again, God was working in him, and Barnabas was right about treating him with patience. Barnabas was right about giving him another chance, about seeing God in him, about applying Markothumia to him. And so when Paul is dying, he says, bring John Mark because I can depend on him now. See, this is why Paul encourages us to be patient with one another making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. He knows that whilst people can be frustrating, they're worth it. That whilst people might, might let us down, whilst people might annoy us, whilst we might have every reason to turn our backs on them, that we are called to treat each other with the grace that God treats us with. That to be all we can be, we need to be patient with each other. See, so if my first point today was that we need to be patient with each other, my second point this morning, this morning is, is that we need to be patient with God. See, my, my favorite story in the Bible about patience is that of Simeon. And, and you'll know that if you've got a, a bit of a long memory because I preach on it every time I get a chance to preach on patience. I'm like, I'll preach my, my sermon on Simeon. That's great. Which I haven't done this today except for the second half, which is about Simeon. But it's good, right? The Bible hasn't changed in thousands of years, so you can't really change the stories. But th- there's something about this account of Simeon and what he does and how he's patient, that, that, that reminds me of how I need to be patient with God. See, to remind you, Simeon is an old, old man, right? And, and he's been told by God that he won't die until he meets the Savior of the world, until he meets Jesus the Messiah. And, and Simeon is living in a hard time to be a Jewish person. He's living in a time where the Jewish people, people are, are enslaved. They're occupied. They're not free to do what they want. And, and in fact, Simeon has already lived through an attempted revolution where the Jewish people attempted to rise up and, and overthrow the Romans. And it, it didn't work. And now he's on the other side of that in a, in a space of even more uh, opposition and, and occupation and persecution. And so here he is, one day, Simeon's just praying to God, and God says to him, I want you to go to the temple. 
I want you to go to the temple because I have a surprise for you. I have something for you there that I think you're going to be pretty excited to see. And, and so Simeon goes to the temple and he comes in with all of the baggage of being a, a people ripped from their homes, of being enslaved and crushed and, and oppressed. And he's walking into the temple to see the hero who's about to save them all to see the person who's going to deliver them from this persecution and this opposition, to see the, the person who's been prophesied about for hundreds of years. See, if I was Simeon, I'd walk in expecting to see a warrior, expecting to see the, the next David or the next Saul, a, a new version of the judges, someone who is going to overthrow the Roman Empire in war with military might. Because they're going to have to lead a revolution, right? That's, that's how surely this is going to go. If, if I was Simeon, I'd be looking for a warrior. But Simeon walks in and God says, there, over there in the corner, that's the answer. And, and Simeon looks into the corner of the temple and there is a baby. See, if I was Simeon walking into the temple to meet the Savior and I saw a baby, I'd feel a little bit confused. Like, God, how's that baby going to hold a sword? It's really little. Is that baby stronger than it looks? Like, God, what are you going to do? With, are you talking about the man holding the baby? Is that, is that the warrior who's going to say, God's like, it's the baby. But, but Simeon's not like me, which I think is good. And Simeon knows right away, and he walks over, and he takes the baby in his arms, and he says to God, you can take me now. I've seen, I've seen your redemption. I've seen your Savior. I've seen the change of everything to come. See, but all he saw was a baby. He didn't see the redemption. He didn't see the overthrowing. He didn't see the countercultural change. He didn't see the gospel spreading throughout the world, changing political and, and societal structures. All he saw was a baby. He didn't see the battle or the war. He didn't see the prophesied turning over. He just saw a baby. And I know I can tend to want to see a finished project. Right? So I, I read this story and I wonder, for me, how old would Jesus have had to have been for me to believe it? Would I have walked in and seen the baby and been like, okay, I'll come back in like 20 years. All good, God, I'll go. This is not what you promised. This is not the change. This is not something new. See, if I was in the temple and I heard Simeon, I would have been like, come on, man, that's, that's just a baby. We've been waiting for something else. See, sometimes we set up a timeline and we say to God, God, I've, I've set it all up. It's all ready. I just need a warrior, right? I've got everything laid out. God, I've got my five-year plan. I just need some miracle dust and you'll make it work and it'll be fantastic, right? And we say, I just need a warrior to show up and solve my problems. And God shows up with a baby. God's solution doesn't look how we expected. This morning, where are you waiting for God? Where have you got a dream that you're waiting for God to come and be a part of? Because if you're anything like me, when I'm waiting on God, I have a tendency to want to take back control. In fact, the, there's a story of this in the Bible. It's, it's the last story I'm going to refer to, but it's in, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 7 to 14. I'm reading from the message translation. And, and the background is that Israel is at war. They're at war with the Philistines, and, and the Philistines have a huge army. Massive. They have 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and then if that's not enough people, the Bible goes on to say, and as many warriors as the grains of sand on the seashore. It's a big army, right? The Philistines are coming en masse, in force, and King Saul is at Gilgal, and he's there with his army. It's not that big, right? His army, that is a lot smaller. His army that you can definitely count all the people in. 
And he's there with his army waiting for the prophet Samuel to come and to bless the army, waiting for the prophet Samuel to come and perform the the proper rites, asking God for help in the coming battle. And his men are afraid, and, and word is spreading of the size and ferocity of this Philistine army. And as a result, men are starting to desert Saul's army and run away. His small army is getting smaller and smaller. And to make matters worse, Samuel is running late. He said he'd be there in seven days. Seven days have passed, and he's still not here. And Saul starts to get nervous. His palms start to get sweaty. He starts to get that that dry mouth going on. He keeps on looking out at the the, the camped army every morning, and he's like, there's less tents here than there was yesterday. Soon it's just going to be me versus the Philistine army, right? I I can't do that. And so Saul takes matters into his own hands. He says, I'm sick of waiting for Samuel. Stupid prophets always taking so long to show up. I'm just going to do it myself. It's just killing some animals and then burning them and saying some fancy words. I can do that. I'm the king. And, and so he, he makes the sacrifice that Samuel was meant to make for himself. And, and just as he finishes making the sacrifices, Samuel arrives. And he asks Saul, what are you, what are you doing? And Saul explains to him, when I saw I was losing my army from under me and that you hadn't come when you said you would, and that the Philistines were posed at Michmash, and I said the Philistines are about to come down on me in Gilgal, and I haven't yet come before God asking for his help. So I took things into my own hands and sacrificed the burnt offering. And Samuel responds to Saul saying, that was a fool thing to do. If you had kept the appointment that your God commanded, by now God would have set a firm and lasting foundation under your kingly rule over Israel. As it is, your kingly rule is already falling to pieces. God is looking out for your replacement right now. This time, he'll do the choosing. When he finds him, he'll appoint him the leader of his people. And all because you didn't keep your appointment with God. Saul, all because you weren't patient. All because Saul didn't wait. See, I can identify with Saul. I can identify with that feeling of of waiting for God to show up and and feeling like God is starting to run late. Like, God, what are you doing? I feel like you're meant to be everywhere at once, but it doesn't feel like you're here. God, when are you going to show up? And so Saul gets impatient and he takes these things into his own hands. Saul did the equivalent of walking into the temple, seeing the baby Jesus and walking out to lead the revolution himself. Like, oh, well, God, if, if you can't sort it out, I guess I'll do it. All right, if you want a job right, do it yourself. Tough God, you didn't show up. You weren't here on time. I had a timeline. You didn't follow it. See, and when we think of it that way, I think it perfectly illustrates why we need to trust God. See, sometimes we can think that, that we can see what will happen. A Messiah will come and save us forcefully by overthrowing the empire. There'll be a war, there'll be bloodshed, the the Savior will come and lead an army, but that's not what God had planned. God didn't want to overthrow an army physically. He didn't want to just re-put in a new kingdom to, to rule for a few decades and then be overthrown again and go back into this cycle of destructive behavior. God wanted to change things forever. He didn't want to just physically shift power. He wanted to transform a culture, to transform a world, to start a new movement, not of war, not of might, but of love and peace and grace, not rooted in strength or force, but but in relationship. See, it would have been tragic if Simeon had rejected Jesus and gone to war without God. But where in your life are you tempted to just make it work yourself? 
Can we learn from Saul's mistakes and remind ourselves that we have an option? That we can be Simeon or we can be Saul. We can trust God and see the world change beyond our, our wildest imaginations. Or we can attempt to do it ourselves to make it happen and lose our dream. Just as I get Jack up on the keys. See, we need to trust God. We need to, to partner with Him even when it's not looking how we think it should or, or it feels like God's running late. You know, George alluded to it in, um, in the uh, notices section of the, the service. But when I was writing the sermon, um, you know, often when I'm writing sermons, God gives me examples. Um, and, and usually those examples, are like I'm preaching on patience, and then I get stuck in a traffic jam, and, and a dark Jono comes out. And I'm like, oh, yeah, God, thanks for the reminder that I shouldn't get too big for my boots, and I need patience, right? Or I'll be preaching on, on preaching? I'll be preaching on love, and then someone will do something at work, and I will not have loving thoughts in my heart towards them. And I'm like, okay, God, I get it, right? I'm just delivering the words. I'm not at all perfect. In fact, you're using a broken vessel in this case, right? But that's all right. You know, while that's true this week as well, I, I did lose my patience at one stage. There was someone following too closely behind me, and I put on my hazard lights, being like, back off! I've got a pregnant wife in the car, I'm going to smash you. And I was like, oh, Jono, just, why do you do these things? But anyway, this week I, I also, I, I reaped some of the rewards of being patient. You know, and, and uh, to be honest, I find it hard to share testimonies because I'm a New Zealander, so it feels like a humble brag. So please understand that I'm not trying to humble brag in this, and this is hard for me. But at the same time, it would be irresponsible of me to be blessed by God and then be like, oh, cool, I'm just, just put that blessing off to the side. And yeah, God's good. I can't, don't have any specific examples as to how, because I do. Well, see, here's the thing. And in 2013, those of you who know me know that I left a career as a research scientist. And, and I, I left that career because I, I didn't feel like it was what I was meant to be doing, right? I was, I was halfway through my master's and, and it, I just kind of, I was coming to the point to re-enroll in the second half of my master's. And I was like, I don't want to do the second half of my master's, let alone do this for the rest of my life, right? And so at the time, what I did is, is, is I just decided to pause for the year, right? Em was starting her PhD and two students on post-grad incomes is, is not an income. And so I was like, I'll just, I'll go and I'll work. I'll, I'll earn something and, and it'll be fantastic. And it was a risky decision, right? Because my master's was going well. We were finding interesting things. I was in a good position at one of the most well-renowned research laboratories in New Zealand and, and, and things were going well. But I felt that I needed to, to pause and to reassess. And so I was like, I'll just pause for a year and I'll come back. And my supervisor was fine with that. And, and at the same time, church needed someone to, uh, to step into the accounts processing role for a, a couple of days a week just for a few months until we found someone who actually knew how to do accounts, right? Not me. Uh, and, and so I was like, I had a conversation with Jordan. And he was like, I don't think you can break it too much in a couple of months. Surely we can fix it afterwards. Amanda's going on maternity leave, but we can give her a call and be like, help, Jono broke the accounts. We put all our money somewhere. We don't know where. We didn't do that. It was great. But, but you know, there was this opportunity and I just felt that you know, stepping in and serving church and, and giving them my time was what God wanted me to do for a couple of days a week. And, and I found a, a few other odd jobs the other days of the week. And, and, and a few months turned into a few more. 
And then a few more months turned into a few more. And, and at the same time, I, I was looking for jobs because it was only meant to be a couple of months. And I, I started to get these offers of working in laboratories and, and then this offer to intern at this really amazing ad agency. But, but all of these things were full time and, and the position at church hadn't wrapped up. And I, I felt that it would be wrong to stop what I was doing at church. So there was something important that I was a part of and, and learning. So, so I stayed at church and Em was completing her PhD. And so we, we weren't earning much and things were tight, but it was awesome. It was a great stage and and we loved it and we knew that we were where God wanted us to be. And then come 2015, we'd we'd finally transitioned the the finance kind of role to a shared service in in Auckland and and now in Dunedin. And and we'd managed to move the accounts and, and I had a conversation with George and I just really felt that everything I was doing in church, besides from accounts, I could still do for church, but in a voluntary capacity. That paying me was was nice for me, but actually it was kind of a waste of church resources. And and, and so I felt like, okay, I'm feeling called to to step back out into the real world of actual employment, right? Not working for a church where they're really nice to you, but working for, for real bosses who might not be your friend all the time. And so I stepped out and I had this firm uh, feeling that God was gonna bless me. Right? Like, man, I, I've been slaving away earning not much for two years. I took a pay cut to come here. Surely now God's going to pour out His blessing. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, in a, in a week's time, I'm going to be, you know, shouting out amazing testimonies of God's provision. And, and at the start of the year, I, I started a role and a week into the role, I was like, this is not what I expected. God, what are you doing? This, this is not the plan. This is not what I th- thought was, was going to happen. And so I went from that job to another job. And I was like, God, come on. Are you listening? Like, Pick up the phone, God. This is not the job. And 2015 was the worst year of my life. I went from horrible job to horrible job. It, it, was, it was horrible. I was like, God, two years. What do you want? Three? Like, what am I meant to be? What am I meant to be doing? God, I was sure that you had spoken. I was sure that you said that I was meant to finish up now and step out in faith and that you were gonna bless me, but I'm stepping into something much worse than I left. What, what's going on? But I just felt God say, you just need to wait. You just need to trust. You just need to, to be patient. And, and, and I was starting to stress out because I had this plan that whilst we hadn't been earning much earlier and we hadn't been able to save a nest egg or do all the, the normal things that people normally do, I was meant to be earning well now and I was meant to be starting to, to recover those, those years that I'd given and everything was gonna be given back to me. And, and, and instead, I was earning less than I was three years earlier when I was a research assistant in a laboratory. And I was like, God, what, what's going on? I hate my job, I'm earning less. It feels like I just wasted the last three years. But, but I, I kept trusting God. And at the end of 2015, I, I started working at the Ministry of Social Development. And all of a sudden, things started to kind of come into clarity. All of a sudden, all of the lessons I'd learned and the jobs that I'd hated, the, the perspective that I'd gained in horrible, long days, all started to have purpose retrospectively. I started to enjoy work. I started to be able to apply the lessons I'd learned through my boss yelling at me and saying, you can't write. Why do you call yourself a writer? And I'm like, stop it, I'm gonna cry. I started to be able to apply these lessons. And and then at X conference a few months ago, or even just a month ago, Em and I were there and and we felt God saying, start looking for a house. And we were like, God, we we tried doing that a little bit earlier in the year. and, And the reality is we don't have enough money. You need money to buy a house. We don't have a lot of that money, 
right? We just started working. We, we knew we were priced out of the market because we tried. And people said, you're priced out of the market. We're like, okay, cool. Good to know. But, but we applied the advice of Pastor Helen, who says that we need to make it easy on us and hard on God. And so we made a decision that, that we were only going to go see houses that we loved and that we weren't going to go to open homes during church on a Sunday, that we were going to make space. That we we're just going to say, God, we're only going to go to open homes when we can, which was never. So as a result, we had to, to ring up the real estate agent and say, hey, can you show us the house? Sorry, we couldn't make the open home on Sunday. And, and so we started going to, to see these houses. And the first house that we saw that we liked enough to put an offer on we put in what we could, right? And we were really open with the real estate agent. And he said, okay, cool, it's not enough, but why not give it a shot, right? And so we put in this offer and, and the, the agent was like, look, it's, I'm sure, you know, it'd be nice to have a few offers to offer to the seller, but you know, you're wasting your time. And so we put in this offer and, and the next day the, the agent contacted us and said, hey, this is a bit weird. There's been a bigger offer than your offer. There's been a, a larger offer, but the seller wants to sell to you. See, in, in two weeks' time, Em and I are going to move into our own house, a house that, that we own. When we didn't have enough money, we weren't going to open homes at the right time. We weren't in the right financial situation, right? And then it gets better. And then on Thursday, right, Thursday just being, I had an interview for a promotion at work. Right? And, and, and there are people who applied for the role that I was going for who'd been with the ministry longer because they, they actually went straight into a real job out of university rather than working for churches and stuff. And, and, and so there they were. They'd been for the ministry longer. They'd had more experience, more relevant qualifications. And, and Friday, I was called to meet with my manager at work. And she took me aside and said, look, you've been successful in your application. See, here's the thing. If I'd left uni and started working for the ministry at, at, at that year, right, doing the normal career path, following what I should be doing, that would be a quick climb to the role that I got given. Right, that would be like, people would be like, wow, that was pretty quick that you went from there to there to there. You've only been with the ministry for like five years. But I can stand here today and say, if you wait on God, if, if you wait on God, if you do what he, you feel He's telling you to do, even if it, it doesn't make sense, even if you feel like you're meant to be heading there and God says, go that way. And you're like, God, that seems like a much longer route to get over there. God's like, still do it, that God blesses you that God will not leave you lacking, that all those things that other people go after and say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chase this down. I'm going to try and make it happen. I'm going to be Saul and, and do it in my own strength, that if you trust God, if you just be patient with Him, if you just maintain faith and say, God, this doesn't make sense. It looks crazy. I feel like Saul, the army of, of the Philistines is there and we're about to be crushed, but you don't take things into your own hands and you wait. You, you won't lack. You'll have to trust Him. You'll have to rely on Him, but you, you won't lack. And it leads to the best life, one of patience, one of waiting on God. See, I'm, I'm done. In fact, if we get the band up and we'll finish with a song. But today, can I encourage you? Let, let's be patient with each other. Let's, let's look to see the potential in each other, not, not the problem. Let's, let's wait on God. Let's trust that He has more for us than we could ever imagine. And I just want to finish by reading Romans chapter 8, verse 22 to 28. If you've got that, Maddie, in the, the message translation. It says this. All around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs, but it's not only around us, it's within us. 
the Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. And I want you to, to get these words. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in our waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become, the more joyful our expectancy. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's Spirit is right alongside us, helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in us and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. Can you stand to your feet? See, in, in just a minute, the, the band's gonna finish with a song of praise and then George will come up and wrap up. But before we do that, I just wanna pray for us. Is that all right? Because here's the thing, I understand waiting. I understand the, the frustration of waiting. I understand the, the desire to not be waiting. I understand that feeling described in Romans of, of waiting and not being able to even give words to your frustration with waiting, of it just being these wordless groans, these aching sighs of God, come on, I'm sick of it. If that's here, you here this morning, I want to encourage you that God has something for you and that if you don't know the words to say, if you don't know how to, how to verbalize the feelings that you have, that you can just reach out to God and ask Him to give you the words. If you have the gift of tongues, that you can pray in tongues and He will edify your heart. But this morning, just as you bow your heads, as you raise your hands, I want to pray for us as a church that we would be patient. God, this morning as we stand here, we ask that you would make us patient. God, that you would help us to be patient. God, that we know that you have something for us. God, that we know that you are working things together for us, that we might not be able to see what the end result is, that we might not be able to imagine it ourselves, but that you have it, God. God, that for those of us who are in the middle of a wait right now, between where we are and where we know that we should be, God, I pray that you would bring us peace in the waiting. God, that the waiting might not be easy, that the waiting might not be, uh, you know, the, the easiest, the most happy place to be, but that we would know that you were there with us, that you can bring joy in our sorrows, that you can bring joy in our struggles. God, as we are waiting, bring us perspective that you're a big God who has big plans, that this might feel like forever right now, but that you're going to do something in the midst, that we're going to be able to look back on it and say, God, there was a reason God, you were there. God, I, I wouldn't have wished it to happen that way, but God, I'm so glad it did because you were working and who you made me now as a result of my waiting is who I needed to be. God, I just speak into this room and to these people who are boldly waiting on you, God. Peace. God, a reassurance that you are for them, that you are with them, that we don't wait in vain, but that, that like a pregnant woman, God, we wait for something new. We wait expectantly, knowing that you're going to bring something good about. In Jesus' name, amen.